quite divine. I mean, what, what is so special? And of course, we, we know the answer, generically speaking, right? This is the night that Christ was born, as the song tells us. But what makes that night so important for us? I, I've been trying my best over the last couple Sundays to give you a different angle of the Christmas story, and to give you another picture of seeing what really was taking place in that little manger. This was not a little deal, as little as that baby was. This was a big deal. And so today, just briefly, I'm going to unpack some uh, rest of John 1, verse 18 with you guys. We're going to see that Jesus reveals what God is like. All right, this is what makes the night a holy night. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. And Jesus makes a God who was knowable, he makes him known. All right, and this is what makes Christmas so breathtaking. I mean, it, it, it is jaw-dropping, all right? So what we're going to do is unpack the rest of John chapter 1, verse 18. Um, would you open your Bibles to that? There are some Bibles in the pews or chairs, I should say, in front of you. Join me on page 886 in those Bibles. John chapter 1. I'm going to read beginning in verse 1 all the way to verse 18 just to get the passage in front of us. And we're going to see how Jesus makes an invisible God visible and how he makes a knowable God known. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. John the Baptist wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Well, who's the light? It says in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And this word, this, this eternal thing, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Can you say made him known? This one who is at the Father's side has made the Father known. Now, there's a lot of code language in this chapter, and we've talked about this before, but this, this word who was with God, who was God, indeed in verse 14, is Jesus himself. The Bible tells us with crystal clear clarity, it might be redundant, clear clarity, right? The Bible tells us Jesus is eternal God who became a man. 
All right, it is clear here from John 1 what John believed, and this is a guy who lived with Jesus for three years. And he says, this Jesus is God. This Jesus came as a man. And he says, this Jesus brought grace and truth. See, what the, the reason for Christmas, as we sang earlier, is this, this great rescue mission that God has been about. Some of you are here today maybe are trying to discern what this, this is all about for you. And you've got to know, Christmas is about God's rescue mission to save broken people like you and me. It, this is what it's all about. All of us from the day of our birth have been separated from God. We just need him. And you know inside your heart there is a longing for something greater. And you know, it's fascinating how even all of Hollywood understands this need. What, what am I here for? So many movies ask that question and try to answer it. The Last Jedi did that very thing. Ray's wondering, what am I here for? I'm, I'm going to stop there, all right? I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. If you haven't seen it yet, it's your fault, though, if you hear something. But, but all of us, everyone understands there's a longing. What am I here for? What is my life all about? What we're going to see today is our lives are about knowing God. We, we find our purpose, our meaning, our identity, everything we were made for when we come to know God. But the question is, how do we come to know God? How, how do we get to know this God? How do we know him in a personal way? And this is precisely, again, as we've talked many times, why Jesus came. Look at verse 18. I'm going to unpack just this one verse with us today. It says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In Jesus, the invisible God becomes visible. No one has ever seen God until, that is, Jesus came to this earth. Now, this is a fascinating thing. I, I was thinking about this. No one has ever seen God because throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, there are these glimpses of God people get. These glimpses of something that starts creating a longing. They want more of this God. And, and they see this glimpse and they ask for more. I think of, of Moses in Exodus 3 with this burning bush. You may have heard this story where he's walking through uh, the, the, the wilderness and he sees a bush on fire, but it's not being consumed. And out of the bush, a voice cries out to him to come forward and take off his sandals because he stands in holy ground. And it says this, Exodus 3, 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And then later it says, he was afraid to look at God. So Moses understood that that burning bush, God was there, but, but it really wasn't all of God. It, it, was, it was something of God. But even that something of God made him afraid to look at God. Moses again on the mountain, as we saw last week, he says, God, show me your glory. I, I want to see you. And God's like, you can't look at my face and live. I'll let you see a portion of my glory. Or I think of Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord in a vision this was. He, he didn't enter into the throne room of heaven physically, literally, but he saw a vision. He saw, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. And he says, the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, of all things for Isaiah to describe, he describes God's robe. He just sees a glimpse of God, and he focuses on God's robe of all things. But even that glimpse of his robe, Isaiah says, 
Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a sinful man. I'm about to die, for I have seen the Lord. His robe. And then you think of Samson, the great warrior, the foolish warrior, when the angel of the Lord, who is, who is God himself, comes to Samson's parents, and, they tell, and he tells them they're going to have a son, and that he should not cut his hair, not drink wine, and so forth. When the angel leaves, they realized it was God who visited them. And then his parents say in Judges 13, 22, we shall surely die for we have seen God. But it was the angel of the Lord they saw. See, no one has ever seen God in all of his glory because they would die at that moment. So when we think of the fact that God entered into the limitations of this humanity, how dramatic that was. Oh, holy night. Yeah. Oh, night divine. No one has ever seen God in his full glory until Jesus. And even still, Jesus never fully showed his glory to everybody. I was asking this week, why would we die at the sight of God's glory? You know, what is it about? Are we just not able to do it? And I think, and, and I don't know if this is the right distinction to make, we, we, it's not a difference of ability, but it's a, it's a, it's a matter of capacity. Not, not can we do it, but can we even handle it? And I was thinking about different things like that. Um, for instance, I'm, I'm a runner. You guys know I love running. And uh, the, the one-mile record for running is at 3 minutes and 43 seconds. That's fast, isn't that? That's 15 miles an hour. That's pretty nuts. But what's crazy is, uh, for many years, no one had ever run a four, under a four-minute mile. The first person to ever do it on record is Roger Bannister in 1954. He ran a mile in three minutes and 59 seconds. But what's crazy is, ever since he broke that record, hundreds of people have done it. See, it wasn't a matter of capacity. It was a matter of ability. No one had just done it yet, but it was possible, but I don't think it's possible for someone to do it in two minutes. Humanly speaking, we don't have the capacity to run a mile in two minutes. We don't live on Mars yet. It may happen, but no one can live on Mars without any help. We don't have the capacity to handle negative 200 degree temperatures. We don't have the capacity to live where there's no oxygen. There's 0.1% oxygen on Mars. Even as last week when the snow came, we, Levi and I were playing outside with a snowball fight, and he made a snowball. It was time to go inside, and he said, I want to take the snowball inside. And I was like, it's going to melt. He said, but please, Poppy, can I bring it in? I'm like, yeah, you can bring it in. And like the laws of physics were not connected with him yet. So he brings it inside, and he's seeing it shrinking, and he's starting, he's like, what, what do I got to do? He's like, maybe if I put cold water in a bucket and put the ball in a bucket, it'll, it'll keep it there. And I'm telling him, I'm trying to convince him it's not going to work. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, let, let me do it. He gets his bucket, and then sure enough, like, you know, a few minutes later, it's gone. He's like, Poppy, where'd it go? Like, the, the snowball does not have the capacity to live in heat. It's like Olaf, right, in summer. This, this is what it is with God. See, it's, it's not just, oh, can I stand before God physically? I mean, maybe for a moment, but we just don't have the capacity to take in his perfections. Why not? 
Well, because we are very much the opposite. We're imperfect. Light and darkness cannot be in the same room at the same time. When you flip down the lights, the darkness goes along with the roaches, don't they? They can't be together. And so when humanity, sinful, fallen, broken, rebellious, stands before a God who is perfect and pure and light and holy, we will die in that moment. So how could we know this God that we can't even stand in front of? How could we know a God that we don't have the capacity to handle? God came to us. He accommodated his perfections and glory and holiness into the frame of a human so that we could know him. Isn't that mind-blowing? I mean, for me it is. Why would God do that? didn't have the capacity and the vastness of God who is inexhaustible, unexplainable, immeasurable, unimaginable comes as a man. And John says no one has ever seen God. And that's why. And then you can imagine John writing with his pen marveling at the next statement he's going to say. He says, but the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Who is the only God at the Father's side? Jesus. Notice John calls him the only God at the Father's side. Well, the Father's God, and how can he be the only God at the Father's side? And the Bible teaches here with great clarity that we serve a God who is one God. We, we, this is not pantheism where there are multiple gods. There's a God of the Father, the God of the Son, and the God of the Holy Spirit who are different and distinct and not together. Just three different gods. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the Bible teaches. Even John is walking this tension here. He says the only God who is at the Father's side, and he tells us the Father is the only God, and John is putting this together saying, hey, I don't get this. But we serve one God who has revealed himself in three persons who are distinct, Father, Son, and Spirit, but there's still one God. And that one God entered into humanity, John says. He is the one who is at the Father's side. Now, of course, the Bible tells us that Jesus has come and sits right now at the right hand of the Father. To be at someone's right hand is to be that place of honor. You've heard it before, my right-hand man. This this is the person I could rely on. This This is someone who I share life with, and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's at the Father's side, and literally in the Greek, it means he is at the bosom of the Father. The Father holds the Son closely so that the Son and the Father know one another. To the extent in which Jesus could say, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's wild. This Jesus has come before us and sits at the right hand of the Father, which is not only the place of honor, but he sits there because it's the place of victory. See, one doesn't sit until their task is completed, and Jesus came with the rescue mission on Christmas to save, and Jesus lived the perfect life, died the death that we could not die for ourselves, and on that cross said what? It is finished. From his resurrection, he goes to the right hand of the Father and has a seat and his task is done. John says, this God at the right hand of God has come down to make God 
to make the Father known. Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He says, believe me in John 14, 11, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. He says, if you don't believe my words, believe in my works. He says, I am with the Father, and the Father's with me. See, this is what Jesus has come to do is reveal God, this God who's knowable, but we can't stand before. And Jesus said, no, you can, he can be known now. You know, in the book of 1 Peter, Peter says that the prophets of old longed to see what we now see and know. They, they just waited for the day that God would send that one who would make possible a relationship, an intimate relationship with God. And they longed for that day. John says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They're they're like, when is this going to happen? And just think about it. What angel told, angel Gabriel told Mary, she tells him, your son will be great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. David longed to know what that was about and now his great, 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 great grandson is come on the scene, Jesus. But think of what Elizabeth told Mary. Behold, she says, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Or how about this man named Simeon and his woman named Anna? They're in the book of Luke chapter 2. There are these two people who are in the temple day and night waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. I'm going to read a passage here. In fact, how about we turn our Bibles there to the book of Luke chapter 2. I just want you to see this with your own eyes. The book of John is preceded um, by the book of Luke. So just turn your Bible over to Luke chapter 2. A lot of times the stories of Simeon and Anna gets lost on us. So I, I, I want us to see this and see what was taking place here. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, look what it says. I mean, we talk about anticipating God coming to make himself known. Simeon was there in the temple, and in verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he imagined this. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, who was now probably about two years old, to do for him according to the law, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. About a baby, a child, he says this. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed opposed." And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Hear this man, Simeon, longing and waiting, saying, when will God send the one? And there is this child, he sees the one, and he's just saying, 
back and die now. I've seen them. We'll look in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna and Simeon saw this child, and they knew this is the one we've been waiting for. See, everyone hoped for his coming. And they knew that Jesus, this one, would come and and, and deliver them from their oppressors and bring hope, but they didn't understand the nature of that. See, John tells us Jesus came to make the Father known. So the question that I must ask you is, do you know him? Do, Do you know this God? Because that's where your life's purpose and meaning not, not, that, not, that, not that you know of him or know about him, but do you, do you know God? Do you know what, what grieves him? Do you know why he made you? Do you know what pleases him? Do, do you know how he uses your sufferings and your joys and your successes for his glory? Do you, do you know this God? Jesus came with the expressed purpose for us to know God. And we begin to know him by faith. Say, I believe. I believe. See, knowing God is possible by faith, by, by faith, but it's impossible without Jesus. So it's not just faith in general, but it's faith in Jesus, who is the God-man. But knowing God is also a decisive choice and not just a one-time event. It is a choice it's a decisive choice, but not, the choice, not just the choice you made once in the past, but it's a decisive choice you make every day to know this God. To give him more and more of yourself, to surrender more and more of your own will, saying, God, I believe that you are God, and I know that you know what is best, so I'm going to give to you the things that I clench to with a tight fist. Because I want to know you. Knowing God takes a lifetime, and it doesn't stop there. See, there's something about our God who is immeasurable like the ocean, that even in heaven, we'll be exploring the depths of who he is. This is why Jesus came, so that us who have no business, who don't have the capacity to be in God's presence, can be in God's presence through Jesus. That's why he came. That's why he lived the perfect life. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead so that you and me, when we believe in him, can know this God. Do you know him? See, Paul, the great apostle in Philippians 3, this guy knew God. I mean, this guy wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. This dude knew God. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he says in Philippians 3, oh, that I might know God more. Those of us who know the Lord, man, know him more and more. I was thinking as we were singing here this morning, 
I've, I've shared with you guys, it's been a challenging two months for us and our family with Erica's health and diagnosis and different things. And it's been, it's been a ride. It's been a roller coaster. But you know, it was in those times, and I'm sure she'd say the same, that there's a, a kind of presence with God. You're like, God, I, I've got nothing else. I don't want anything else because I need you. But isn't it crazy? And I was thinking about this. You know, we've had a great two weeks. You know, she's been feeling great and feeling so much better, and we just praise the Lord for that. But isn't it crazy? I just said, Lord, why is it that I don't feel the urgency anymore now? That great hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel. Prone to leave the God I love. And it's like, God, why does it take suffering for me to want to know you more? I was like, Lord, help me want to know you more without the suffering, please. But God wants to be known. Jesus entered earth to be known. So family of God, if you're a child of God today, know your God. Know what pleases him. Know what he made you for. Know him. And there's no way to know him apart from prayer and his word. Just cry out to him. Getting these scriptures saying, God, I want to know you like Simeon know you, knew you. I want to know you like the others. I want to know you. And I want to cry out like Paul cried out, God, I want to know you. It's possible by faith and impossible without Jesus. It's a decisive choice, but it's not just a one-time choice. It's a daily decisive choice. And it takes a lifetime, but it doesn't stop there. Was it a holy night? And it was. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and in error. It's pining. He's just there wallowing in sin and in error and just lost. Till he appeared and our soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. So yes, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night, divine, O oh, night, when Christ was born. O oh, night, O oh, holy night, O oh, night divine. Knowing God this Christmas is the most important thing, important choice you can ever make. It was a divine night with the express purpose of a saving mission, a rescue mission. If you don't know this God today, man, I plead with you. And you would say, God, I recognize I'm a sinful woman, I'm a sinful man. I need forgiveness. I've been holding on to things too long and I need to give them to you, God. Forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me to take the punishment for my rebellion that I deserved. He was punished on the cross. And I believe he was raised from the dead so that I now can be raised and given a new life because I believe in you. If you pray that and you mean it with all your heart, you turn from your sins and all the things that you rebelled against God, the Bible tells us that you can be called a child of God. You can be born again, a new birth, adopted into God's family, and begin the process of knowing God. 
the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made God known. It's in Jesus we find salvation. Well, if that's something you want to do today, you want to, you want to trust in Jesus for the first time, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I want to have a prayer team come forward. We'd love for you to come up to one of these men, one of these women, and just say, hey, I want what, what Pastor Eric was talking about. Maybe today your prayer is like, I know the Lord, but I just lost that urgency. I don't, I don't long to know him. I haven't, I haven't savored what Jesus accomplished in order for me to know him, and I want to know him more. And would you keep me accountable? Would you pray for me? That's what our prayer team wants to do. They want to pray for you with those things. Or maybe you have a plan for this weekend for Christmas and you want people in your life to know this God and let us pray for you and pray with you for whatever your plan is. Family, God, God has come on a rescue mission. Let's make that known to our world in sin and irreparable. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for, for Jesus truly God who is at the Father's side, who had left his throne, left the praises that were due to him through the angelic beings, left the glories of heaven to enter the limitations of this earth so that he could rescue us and preserve the glory of his name. My God, May we see this hope and surrender entirely to you, Lord. Give faith today, God. Bring faith this morning, we ask, among these brothers and sisters, these men and women, these young people. Father, I pray this. Spirit, move among us. Bring conviction, bring joy, bring healing. Bring repentance, bring faith. Pray this in the name of my King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Family, just rise up.